0: This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. This week, we're going to talk about last week, starting with the news. On Malwarebytes Labs, we looked at how social media companies are handling misinformation around coronavirus. In short, Twitter began single-handedly flagging posts and accounts. TikTok rolled out better crowdsourced reporting, and Facebook now tells users when they've engaged with misinformation offering links to credible resources, too. Facebook's actions followed a damning report by activist group Avaz, which said the social media giant, quote, sits at the epicenter of the misinformation crisis, end quote. So <laughs> things are going well. We also provided 10 best practices for managed service providers to protect themselves and their clients from ransomware. Simple steps like providing cybersecurity training, backing up important files, and enabling multi-factor authentication can help prevent damage to both sensitive data and an organization's reputation. Because even though ransomware is popular right now, your clients don't think it's cool. Our threat intelligence team, together with cybersecurity firm HYAS, analyzed a bot modeled after the infamous banking Trojan, Zeus. After some digging, we found this malware was first sold under the name Silent Night, a possible reference to the chemical weapon featured in the 2002 movie Triple X. With an asking price of $4,000 a month for a unique build, it's possible this Triple X inspired malware made more money than Triple X itself. Finally. We revisited the US government's never ending argument against strong encryption. It goes like this Encryption secures our data, and that includes the data of suspected criminals. Cops don't like that. So the government argues companies should just build backdoors for only cops to use. Here's the thing encryption doesn't work that way, and a backdoor for law enforcement is a vulnerability for anyone to try to exploit. If you're looking for a joke here, you'll find it in the government's arguments. In cybersecurity news across the world, researchers at Bitdefender investigated a powerful Android espionage tool that can provide near-total access to a device, collecting data, stealing account credentials, tracking GPS location, and even secretly recording screen activity. The researchers named the malware Mandrake, after learning that its creators named certain development branches after plants. Putting those botany degrees to good use, I see. The Register reported that the increase in individuals wearing face masks to help prevent the spread of coronavirus will lead to a decrease in the reliability of facial recognition technology. Maybe now, facial recognition tech can finally advance from a reported failure rate of 98% to that coveted perfect failure rate of 100%. Naked Security warned readers about a hacker selling sensitive information stolen from a Spanish dating app. The hacker advertised mobile numbers, usernames, email addresses, and MD5 hashed passwords for more than three and a half million users. Swipe left on that mess. HelpNet Security did some myth-busting around client-side security and Magecart attacks. For starters, having a firewall, a web application firewall, and a secure connection isn't enough for protection. Further, not every attack is immediately detectable for your security team. One untested myth remains, though. Does Magecart only use 10% of its brain? Finally, Bleeping Computer reported that a team of threat actors stole $10 million from Norway's state investment fund by deploying a sneaky business email compromise attack. The hackers spent months in the investment fund's network, learning about its operation and how to authorize money transfers. Which, at that point, they're probably pretty qualified to interview for a job. Our main story today concerns browser privacy, an important but often neglected subcategory of data privacy. This isn't so much about the personal information we share with large platforms like Facebook and Twitter. Instead, it's about the information we inadvertently share when simply browsing online. Without the proper restrictions, browsers can allow web trackers to follow you around the internet resulting in that one pesky ad managing to find you no matter what website you're on. Your browsing history, your interaction with certain websites, even your purchasing interests and information about your device can all be determined and tracked through your choice in browser. To help us better understand web browser privacy and how to protect yourself online, we're talking today to Peter Arntz, malware intelligence researcher for Malwarebytes. Peter, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, hey, David. Nice for you to have me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Of course, um, Peter. To help our audience understand your role, can you tell us just a little bit about you know what you do about your research at Malwarebytes?
1: I've been working for Malwarebytes for ten years, mainly as a blogger, but I've also published on Bleeping Computer, IT Pro Portal, and several German magazines. I deal with browser, browser problems, and a wide variety of other topics, but I specialize on browsers and uh, malicious browser extensions and
0: whatnot. Let's get right into it. So we regularly discuss data privacy on the blog and on the podcast, and it's something that I cover quite extensively, but browser privacy is a piece of that, obviously. Can you help explain briefly what browser privacy means for audiences who may not know?
1: Browser privacy is is one of the most neglected uh, (laughs) sorts of privacy because we are in the habit of giving companies our information without thinking twice. And it's something that we want to make people more aware of because you can limit the amount of information that you give out or you Mm -hmm. can limit the usefulness of the information that you give out. And both are part of... uh, decent browser
0: privacy uh, strategy. You mentioned that right there, like, you know, it's one of the most neglected parts, uh, unfortunately, and that was my understanding of it for a while too, right? We don't really often think of privacy this way. Yeah, we think about a company's databases getting hacked or ourselves becoming the victim of a spear phishing attack or or just having our data right in like the wrong hands. But we often look at browsers just as portals, just as tools to Mm -hmm. sort of access the internet. Are browsers collecting our data? Uh, If so, what kind of data? What's happening out there?
1: Well, the browser is not so much collecting the data itself, but it gives it out. People look at it as an instrument to look at the internet, but there's a two way traffic. So information goes from you to the sites that you're visiting. That can be very basic information like what operating system you're on, which browser you're using, what your language settings are, but also very specific information like your IP address, other sites you visited, what you Mm -hmm. did at those sites. And mostly the goal for the the gathering of that information is targeted advertising, but there are worse cases like you could fall victim to a phishing attack or get get sucked into a a tech support scam or lots of different things, really.
0: Yeah, it sounds like basically one of the ways that this works is that let's say i'm a person who uses firefox and i access the internet from the same ip address you know 95 percent of the time and also i happen to be using it on my specific android device it seems like the browser sort of fingerprint is what is used to associate me with me am i getting that right
1: yeah exactly the the, the amount of information is enough to get a specific profile for you and silent trackers and cookies. People can get a pretty clear image of how you behave on the internet.
0: Is this common? Is this like a thing that happens everywhere?
1: Yeah, almost every site uses cookies. I mean, and some of them are needed, don't don't get me wrong. If a site doesn't work properly because when you click on something that you want to see and it goes somewhere else, then that's useless. So some of the, the things that you send out are useful for your own experience, but almost every site does it.
0: Some of the things you were talking about, you know, there's, there's other threats out there, beyond targeted advertising, and, and you mentioned phishing attacks, tech support scams. How do those work? How would I become the unwitting victim of a, of a tech support scam through this kind of uh, attack vector?
1: By behavior, if you, for example, uh, looking up a description of a virus or then the conclusion of the website on the other end might be, hey, he's infected. Maybe we can sell him something. So they lack wow. the information what you looked at because many yeah. search engines gather information about you as well and they put two and two together and sometimes that makes four and sometimes five, mm-hmm. but they at least try to, to sell you something that you, you don't want.
0: I've also seen online that, right, there are browsers that are vulnerable because they're built on the backbones of other vulnerable browsers, right? Um, and I saw something, I think that, that you actually wrote, right, that, um, that any browser built on Chromium, for example, is going to be vulnerable to the same vulnerabilities of, of Chromium. Am I getting that right? Um, can you just kind of explain, you know, what other kind of invasions or vulnerabilities exist in, in this browser privacy world?
1: It's true that, that sometimes people read about uh, there's a leak in Chrome and they mm-hmm. think, oh good, I'm not using that because I'm using Opera or mm-hmm. uh, the new Microsoft Edge. Or It's still the same problem because all these browsers have the same engine and they also have the same vulnerabilities.
0: Do you have off the top of your head what browsers are built on Chromium?
1: Well, the, the most common ones are Opera and, uh, and the new Microsoft Edge.
0: Which are rather popular.
1: Yeah. They are, yes. There's some other smaller projects, but those are usually better maintained and uh, well done by hardworking volunteers. They care about their users, but some of the big ones don't do that as much.
0: Speaking about that, right? That there are browsers that have these volunteers efforts that folks who really do care about the users what does it mean for a browser to do well like in this area of, of browser privacy? What features would that mean, or, or what kind of concern would that show for the user? What, do, what does that look like?
1: I uh, mean like privacy aware browsers, but they do different. like I said, you can limit the amount of information that you give out or you can mm-hmm. limit the quality of the information that you give away the usefulness and yeah. privacy aware browsers don't give away everything that you don't want to give away because only what Really is needed for a website, and they don't allow cookies from one site to be read by another site. So if you you look at something on a shopping site, then it doesn't immediately show up in Facebook three seconds later. You know?
0: Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing. You know that like cookies <laughs> from one site could be read by another. I that
1: yeah
0: yeah right. That's a thing that we're like, surely why why would you? And then you're like, okay, fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> when you say, you know, they're not kind of giving out the information, is that is that as simple as, I personally, I use Brave, right? And mm-hmm. I have read good things about it, but I haven't, I don't have the technical prowess to get in there under the hood and be like, okay, it is sending this out. It's not sending this out. If I was using a good browser on this, does that mean it simply wouldn't tell websites like, hey this person's like device ID or my IP address? Is that even a thing that, that a browser could even have control over?
1: The browser would always give out your IP address or it wouldn't know where to send back the information that you want to look at. Or you have to use something like a proxy or a VPN, but that's a different story. But a browser mm-hmm. will have to give out an IP address where to send back the information that you requested. So... It can't stop that from being transmitted. In, in a way, it also has to give out some user agent so the site knows how to format the information that you want to look at the layout of the site because that's different for a browser.
0: Do these sorts of threats, do they apply differently? How do they apply to both consumers but also to
1: businesses, to enterprises? Well, they... Basically, the same because the browsers are the same. Sometimes, an informed user is safer at home than he is at work because businesses don't always allow them to install extensions that help limit or help improve the browser privacy or other things that might be a little bit more secure. Businesses are unhappy if you start installing things all by yourself. <laughs> can install at home, no problem. There's not really much difference. It's, uh, it's okay. how you use it more than where you use it.
0: I've absolutely worked at places that you know, wouldn't let me install like an ad blocker, for instance, um, or any yeah. extension whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, what kinds of things can folks do to protect themselves?
1: There are extensions that make your browser, your popular browser, as safe as, it, for example, Brave that you said you used. You can add ad blockers, you can add tracking blockers like Ghostry or bytes Browser Guard. There lots of things that you can do that help you make the browser more secure or make you at least aware of what is going on.
0: What do those do? What, you know, what does an ad blocker do in like a really simple way?
1: In a really simple way, it blocks the information that you didn't want to see in the first place. <laughs> it's information that is put there by advertisers or then sponsor the site that you're looking at. And basically, they leave that out. And often these advertisements come with their own cookies and mm-hmm. that all of that gets lost in the, in the interwebs, but doesn't breach your computer. So that's, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned, yeah, Malwarebytes, we have our own. Can you actually, you know, since you know, we both work here, what does our own browser guard do for folks?
1: It blocks a whole lot of domains and IPs that are in our database listed as bad. Mm -hmm. And it looks at some of the sites that you visit and by heuristics looks at spots that it might be bad or recognizes Mm -hmm. it as a scam. And you can control the trackers that you get on a site or look at how many there are on a site and then think about whether you
0: really want to visit that site again. Yeah, I recommend that like everyone get an ad blocker or a tracking blocker that at least shows the count, right? Like you said, the, the number that's out there. Because it is kind of like, I remember when I first started using, my first one was Ghostery, which you mentioned. And the first time I started using it, just seeing how many sort of signals it was blocking, how many trackers it was intervening with, was pretty astounding. Like you go to... I remember I used to work at a digital rights nonprofit and and one of the things they would do for Halloween is just show like, oh, if you want to see something really spooky is see how many ad trackers there are on like your most visited websites. And it mm-hmm. was just a good way of showing like which websites were doing some of the most tracking. And it was it was scary too because um it was also looking at websites that were pretty popular for like kids. So like... Toys R Us, right? You know, video game websites. And they would routinely number in the dozens, right? You're getting 19, 20, 25, 50. And it is, yeah, it is kind of a uh, shocking to see it for the first time. When I use Brave, right? It it shows me a little count in the corner and it says, like, hey, here's how many things we're blocking. And something even like, you know, the New York Times. I've got it up right now and it says 17. And that's quite a few. On a sort of different topic here. Something we see a lot mentioned in, in this kind of conversation is a, is a VPN, right? Can you help explain what a VPN does for our audiences and also what a VPN doesn't do? VPNs, I think, have become extremely popular, at least here in the United States, because there's been a couple that are like buying a million YouTube ads or something. <laughs> Every channel is sponsored by a VPN now, which is kind of wild. Maybe I should uh, not speak too soon. Who knows? Maybe we'll have a VPN advertiser. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but you know, h- how does a VPN play into this conversation?
1: A VPN does two things. If it's a good one, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. it introduces a proxy between you and the website. Like I said before, a website needs an IP address to send information to. But in this case, it gets the IP address of the VPN, and that mm-hmm. sends it back to you. So someone from the outside can only see that you're connecting to that VPN, but what happens after that, they can't tell. And the second thing that sets a VPN apart, a good VPN should also encrypt the traffic. Basically, if they could intercept your traffic, then they still wouldn't be able to see what you did because it's encrypted. And then there's cheap VPNs that do all the things they should do, but only at a speed that is nerve-wracking. <laughs> <laughs> or after one gigabyte they tell you, oh, I'm sorry, you're yeah. done with it. for is over. So if you want a really good one that mm-hmm. does all those things and you can surf as if there is nothing between you and the internet as fast and as furious as you like and mm-hmm. you really have to shell out some, some good money. But, yeah. on the other hand, if you're any group of people that would like to keep their information private and in they're
0: surfing and mm-hmm. it's worth it yeah yeah like you mentioned there right There are some that um the the speed is unbearable right like i just can't put up with waiting this long for a website yeah. <laughs> i feel yeah i feel like uh like i'm 12 years old again, getting internet for the first time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, almost, you almost hear the beep of the, uh, <laughs> the, the shell connecting. <laughs>
0: have VPNs just gotten better on that regard too?
1: It's possible to get a faster one that uh, doesn't, it's, it's never as fast as, as without a VPN because that's right. it's basically rebounding. impossible. Yeah. Yeah. But it should be possible to have a decent speed.
0: Peter, a uh, that's all I had. I just wanted to thank you again for being on the show today and for helping break down this topic, right? Like you said, it's, it's it's rather neglected. It's a thing that I think a lot of people don't think about, that don't know about, but is luckily becoming a bigger part of the conversation.
1: Pleasure talking to you, David.
0: To our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks when we speak with John Donovan about how to securely work from home. With shelter in place orders taking effect all across the world, Staying safe at home is now a priority for many folks and organizations.